We're a little I, late this week. I hate when I have a mustache the same time as you. You hate when you have a mustache the same time as me? Yeah, because well, I always I'm, think like, oh, I got a decent mustache. And then I get on with your Italian whatever heritage you are that makes you grow hair like you're from Kuwait. And we're just like, I want to go shave now. The, well, you know, it is what it is. You have the better background, though, because I still have... I'm in the guest room and it's true. And it's a dirty guest room right now. Yes. We have guests with us. So that is, that is why. Um, So Jeff, the big news, what we're going to lead off with, we're going to get serious. And the title of this episode is G S V B because that was just like, it was just there for the taking. It was too perfect of a title. So what is, what is your prediction? Do you, I need your tinfoil hat and your non-tinfoil hat. Okay. Ooh, do you know what we need to sell? We need to make GHB hats that where Ooh. the inside is lined with tinfoil. So it can look like a normal hat, but you're still protected. Yeah, we do. Or just sell tinfoil. Yes, the Wyanon official tinfoil. Official brand. Um. Yeah, SVB, Silicon Valley Bank. It's closed. Closed down. Like for real, closed down. Like, and like Lehman Brothers, Bear Stearns, gone. Like their website. I tried after the press release came out, I saw it at about a quarter to 10 mountain time that the FDIC had officially closed them down. And I went to their website not 10 or 15 minutes later to just to look at some stuff, see what was going on. It was already down, like off dead air. Like they got rid of it Dude. that quickly. So Silicon Valley Bank, man. Dude, it's, the Wikipedia is already updated. So it, it says, was a commercial bank headquartered in Sal- Santa Clara. Pretty wild. And uh, so they're closed. They're closed down. And that that surprised me. Not that they closed down. Not that the, FD, not, not, that the regulators shut them down. Like that wasn't overly surprising. But the way that they shut them down so quickly after things went south yesterday, that was surprising to me. Now, we're probably not the most qualified to speak on the, the nuances of, of exactly what happened and why, uh, you know, I know what I've read, you know what you've read, but we're, we're reading stuff, right? We're not, we're not financial experts that, that are going to be able to get into the, the nitty gritty of it all. But basically they had a, a ton of treasuries that had lost value because of inflation. And I don't know, I, I question their thought process of trying to right-size their books all at once and selling off $2 billion of bad treasuries at the same time. But that's what they did while simultaneously announcing that they were going to go in for another round of capital like raising. And that didn't work. Everybody panicked. Peter Thiel said, hey, everybody in the founder's portfolio should just pull your money out of SVB. And from there, everything went south. And uh, everybody panicked, pulled out their money, and boom, here we are 24 hours later. They're no longer a bank. And and it's weird. So they were taken over completely by the FDIC. And you said, what? Who do they announce that Santa Clara Bank is who they transferred all their assets to? Which I all still their don't. Deposits to all their deposits. Yeah, and right, I which learned, I still don't quite understand how that works because there's still that means there's still funny money going on because that they transfer the deposit, but that doesn't fix the issue of the jacked up balance sheet where they couldn't their balance sheet could not cover the no. deposits anyway. Right. No. And it, it's gone. Like, and so it's still like we got more. Yeah. So we still have, I mean, I guess it's just like all the bond, which I guess the deposits are separate than like they held bonds or that they issued and they're not, whoever owned those bonds is not going to get paid those. So that's separate for the deposits. So I guess in theory it can work, whatever. Um, I did see today, uh, somebody on our discord said today that it was at the end of 2022. So it's been what, 70 days since then. So, so obviously a lot could change. But 151 billion of their deposits were over FDIC insurance limits. Oh yeah, I did see that. Um, I read this morning that they had a, about 180 billion on deposit as of today. So if we assume that 150 billion is still sort of kind of close to the right number, then 30 billion of those deposits are insured. The other 150 billion, gone. Yeah. So well, a lot of I don't feel bad for venture capitalists who made a bunch of questionable investments losing one hundred fifty billion dollars. That doesn't make me feel sad. Uh, 
just for clarification, Jeff, today is the 69th day of the year. Ah, uh, yes. So the we also have the situation where, I mean, it is kind of like banks do a lot of weird things. Like your bank may not actually hold your deposit and not that like a they're, it's held and they haven't lent it out. But, you know, like if you go to SoFi, like the, the actual FDIC cap is $250,000 per account. But if you go to like SoFi or Wealthfront or whatever, they advertise like your FDIC insured up to $1 million because what they do is they actually open like four accounts for you at a partner bank and then place your money there for holding. And so they're not actually operating as a bank themselves, whatever. So there is SVB did do some of that where, so some of the companies that had deposits there, if they logged into their SVB account, you know, it may show that they had a hundred million dollars in cash, but only like 10 million of it was sitting with SVB or 5 million or whatever the number is. So the, uh, they did do some of that. So there's, it's going to be a while to parse through, but it is, I mean, the second biggest of the, if you look at the, I just pulled up the biggest banking failures of all time. And it's like, you know, it's Bear Stearns was like 300 million. This was, or billion, this was 200 billion. And then the next biggest one was like some bank in Puerto Rico was like $5 billion. Like it's a massive global scale. And it's, you know, it, on the one hand, obviously, I mean, it's, I work for a company that's based in San Francisco. I think our business account was held by SVB and that's, you know, like I may not get a, my paycheck on Wednesday. It may, Ow, you know, you'll, you'll no, not, not that the money's not there, but it's like, if they may need a sort, if it's got it on board, wherever it's like, where, who's going to process it. It may be a couple days late because it's Friday afternoon at three o'clock and you got to submit payroll by Monday morning to have it clear by Wednesday, whatever, you know, so it may be, you know, like, Hey, we're going to be on the 17th instead of the 15th, you know? Um, but it's also kind of like, you know, there's, you can only prolong your day of repentance for so long. And that's, I'm kind of like, I hate the bell. I mean, I hated it in 2008 because, you know, it's like you put yourself in a corner and you can talk about what policies, monetary policies, regulatory policies, whatever created the situation. But it's like you put yourself in a corner, build everyone out. So you're based de facto telling them, well, it's okay. Just do it again. Cause we'll save you if it happens. And so it's like, you, you got to let people feel the pain to, yeah, you know, and, to you know, they got to feel that monetary godly sorrow. And for, and for Silicon Valley, man, I mean, their portfolio has been just getting hammered. Right. I mean, they, I think it's something like 50% of the venture capital backed fintechs or tech companies in general, not just financial technology, but, but tech 50% of VC backed tech companies uh, are backed in part by Silicon Valley bank. Um, And so as the tech industry has just been getting slaughtered, hammered layoffs, you're seeing a new company layoff thousands every day. It seems like, yeah, Silicon Valley, their portfolio was feeling that, their customers were feeling that. Um, so yeah, they, they've been hurting and then they themselves hurt. And and that's, it's tough. It's brutal. Um, I'm not as much worried about the deposit stuff. Like this is one bank that failed. Uh, so they'll figure that out. Like it, there may be a day or two of a, a bump in the road if you try to get your money out, but you're going to be fine. If you had money at Silicon Valley bank, it will, it will be there and accounted for. That's what the FDIC does. Um, now, if you had over your FDIC insurance limits, then yeah, there's some questions there. But you'll have whatever is there. Like that, I'm not I'm not overly concerned about that. But it's all of those those tech companies, right? That just lost their funding. That like we could feel those shockwaves for for several weeks to come as those companies are unable to meet payroll. You know, if you have a revolving line at Silicon Valley Bank and and you're a non-profitable startup, right? I mean, you're you're relying on that line of credit. And if you're unable to replicate that because you're a startup that doesn't have any profitability or any real cash flows and you went to Silicon Valley Bank because they are a bank that is comfortable lending money to startups and technology companies, they understand that business. If you go and take that same sales pitch to Wells Fargo, who's looking at traditional lending metrics, you're probably not going to get that loan, at least not the same type of loan or maybe not at the same volume. Uh, so yeah, I mean, those are the shockwaves I think that we could feel for the next couple of weeks and, and uh, we'll see what that fallout looks like. That's where I'm a little bit more nervous for the future, but uh, 
deposits, all that stuff. That'll that'll get worked out. There may be a bump in the road for a day or two, but but that'll get worked out. This yeah. isn't a bank failure like the banking sector. This is one bank that failed. So that'll... you're saying it's a bank failure, not a banking failure. Yeah, yeah. Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but in actual real news related to the topic of this show. Yeah, ready. We have we have four things on the agenda. Which one would you like to start with? I'll let you you can draft well, this one. Um, we spent so much time on number two that I think we should save that to the end. Okay. And number one and number four sort of go together. Yeah. So okay. So I'm let's start up with number two. Up. Okay, number two. This is gonna blow people's mind that we have four topics and the topic of choice is basketball that's weird that is weird but we're here so that was i mean okay so the i guess the lmu game was fine but that game versus st mary's was just it was like a whole microcosm of the season where it's like what the hell's going on with this team right like you can play with anybody i mean they almost knocked off st mary's almost they were down by like 40 gajillion points and only lost by seven mm-hmm. still, but it, they almost knocked off St. Mary's in the regular season, almost knocked off the Zags. And it's like, you can play with anyone, but just so inconsistent and all over the place. And I know according to Ken Palm, that's like one of the bottom 10 least lucky pro teams in the country this year. So things didn't go right, but it's like, dude, it, at some point, uh, the, the trend line has not been great. And now I don't in think year so. in year four of the Mark Pope era, and it kind of you know at the time obviously, okay, the, who were the two the two names right back four years ago to replace Dave Rose? It was Mark Pope and Mark Madsen. Mm-hmm. And people were saying, did we hire the right Mark at the time? Yeah, and it was perfect because it's like, well, Mark Pope's not really a BYU guy, but if he comes in, he has a couple good years. Then you know, then if he leaves, whatever, it's good that Madsen is at UVU and can kind of get some run there. And freaking UVU, they won the whack regular season championships and are about to go to the dance for the first time. And you know, obviously that was built on top of the foundation that Pope had. But you know, that was. But it, it's been four it, years now, and I, I think Madsen's to, done more there than yeah, Pope did. He did more, and, and yeah, Pope gave him a head start. But four years, man, especially in basketball. Pope also gutted that roster when he came to BYU. He, he did. So. And four years in basketball with the way that the portal works for basketball, I mean, that's an eternity, right? I mean, you're, you're the, the days of signing a freshman and, and developing them for four years in basketball are, are practically unheard of. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's Mark Madsen's program through and through, and he's done well. And I think that that's, that's the interesting topic when you talk about Mark Pope, right? Uh, people have disagreed with me. I've had some rare basketball takes over the last week. But I, I'm, I am personally, if Mark Pope were to leave tomorrow, I wouldn't lose any sleep about it. I don't think he needs to be fired. That's not what I'm, I'm advocating for. I think he, he certainly has done enough during his four-year tenure. He had two really good years. I mean, that to me buys him a, a long leash, right? But that leash is up. And so I would start to say that the, the, the hot seat is hot. Whatever your clock is of like, okay, hey, you've got a year or you've got two years. Like everybody kind of has this mindset of how long does it take you to fix something? Whatever that clock is, that clock is now ticking. Right, he's out of the leash that he bought himself with two good seasons to me, because not only has he had two bad seasons, like it, it doesn't look like things are going to get better in the immediate future either. Like the road is only getting harder for Mark Pope as BYU moves into the Big Twelve. And, and the I thing for struggle. the thing for me is, it just seems like the you know from the vibe off the field like when Kalani struggled there was never I never had a doubt that he was not going to be able to turn around because players still loved him whatever but the revolving door in basketball it's so much harder to I mean it's so much harder okay you can have like you know what year was it when Kentucky had like 17 first round draft picks on their roster and they won the title I think you probably would have been on your mission but they had there was the season, um, I think it was like 2008 or 2009. They won the title and they had what basically they started five freshmen, right. and they won the title. All of them left. You know that's similar, right? It's a rental of yeah. players, 
And it's really hard to construct your thing. Like, cause even like, you know, Gonzaga, they've lived in with transfers forever, but they get guys that transfer after their freshman or sophomore year and there's continuity. Like and they're they getting stay. the Alex Barcelos, not the, you know, branded Averitts and, you know, the Seneca Knights. And so it's when with basketball, when you only have 14 guys or whatever it is on your roster, having that much turnover really makes it hard to have any kind of continuity or really build culture in your program. And a bad apple in the locker room can have a way bigger effect. Yeah. It's a much higher percentage. One guy can turn around. One guy can turn your program around, but one guy can turn it around the other way too. Right. Right. You you really have to be, you have to hit on the guys. And, And I think to me, that's where Mark Pope has struggled the most. I think he's a fine coach, like the the X's and O's, the offense, like people, you know, they say that the offense doesn't move around enough or blah, blah, blah. I think the offense is fine. Uh, the strides that BYU made defensively this year, I think is fantastic. They, they got significantly better. Uh, player development. Players do develop. I think that you would, you know, you'd look at a guy like Foose and say, did he develop as much this year as you would have hoped? Maybe not. Gideon George always kind of seemed to be the same guy to me. Like he got a little bit better from year one to year two, but then years three and four, he was kind of the same guy. Um, so maybe there's some questions about player development, but like Barcelo got way better. Yoli got better. Toulson got better. I think he's fine in the development section. Not great, but fine where I think he struggles and you feel it in basketball more than you do in, in, in football is his roster construction, right? Yeah. I, I think he looks at a guy like Rudy Williams was brought in to be that guy. Like he was going to be a focal part of the offense. Well, Rudy Williams for the first 17 games of the year, couldn't dribble three times without turning it over. And, and so that didn't work. And so he was brought in to be the guy and he ended up being the sixth man. Now, if you would have brought him in to be the sixth man and you were going to work around Dallin hall or whatever, great. Then, then it worked out well and your team just needs more talent. But that wasn't what Rudy Williams was brought in to do. He was brought in to be the guy, right? And if you go back over over Pope's history of bringing players in, I think he's done a poor job. And now maybe it's because he hasn't got his first targets. He's missed, you know, the Antoine Davis or the Brockingtons. He's missed on guys, and so he's had to move to plan C and D and E. Uh, or maybe he just has done a bad job. I don't know. But I don't think that the results of him identifying a player and saying, okay, this is my wing shooter. This is my three and D guy. This is going to be my 20 points a game guy. This is going to be my lockdown defender. Like those roles you establish and you recruit specifically for those roles in basketball. If you're not Kentucky or Duke or or one of those blue blood programs, they can just stack talent on top of talent on top of talent. Then you have to construct a roster in a way that it's cohesive and that it makes sense. And so you're recruiting to very specific roles and he's missed on that, right? He brought in Seneca Knight to replace Connor Harding. What was Connor Harding? You know, he was 18, 19 points a night, played some defense, corner three shooter. Seneca Knight was not that guy. And he pushed out Connor Harding in order to, to have Seneca Knight. It didn't work. He pushed out Seneca Knight and said, oh, well, we need somebody to pair with Foose, right? Atiki Ali Atiki could come off the bench. Foose is an undersized center, so we need a big guy who can defend but can still stretch the offense. God, Noah Waterman's that guy. He's six feet tall. But Noah Waterman was Noah Waterman was downright unplayable at times this year. Yeah. And, and just- so finding the roles and then plugging in guys that fit the roles that they need to do, that has been – where Pope, I think, has struggled the most. And it has it, it bit him in the butt this year. I think it bit him last year. And I'm not confident that he can go into the transfer portal and fix it next year. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, he's logging the miles. And like we saw a million names. So is it, and this is something that someone on our Discord brought up, is it, is he targeting the wrong guys? And that's right? what like, I think. Is it, he's is a it great like, recruiter. Well, and, and it's what is recruit like what is the like the strategy, right? Like is it you're going for the best, okay, that's great, but at some point are you spending too much time going for the best available overall and passing over the best available who realistically will give you the time you know, will come and then you miss those because they go somewhere else. So now mm-hmm. instead of landing the B plus transfer 
you're down to the C transfer. Yeah, should should Pope because be looking you, at it and saying, "Hey, my player A guy is probably going to go to Kentucky. I'm going to invest all of my time in player B while Kansas and Kentucky duke it out for player A, and then hopefully I can get player B signed before Kansas loses to Kentucky and comes after player B." Right. It, it like so how much of it is fit of that happening where it's just, you know, you're not you know, that guys, you're just going after the wrong dudes. Yeah. And and there needs to be some more calibration there because it's great, you know, hustling, trying to grind all that. And then also refining of like, what is the pitch? Like, why why are we striking out? Well, not striking out so much. It's We're not striking out. We're putting balls in play. Yeah. But a lot of times it doesn't seem like they're hit very hard, right? Yeah. Like, a, you know, when a guy's in a rut, but they are putting hard balls in play, you think, okay, you know, the contact is still good. The defense made a play. It is what it is. Eventually, it's going to get through, and you're going to get on base. But kind of seems like hey, we got a lot of dribblers down the baseline. That's an easy, easy barehanded grab and throw to first. I I agree, and and I, I I would caution fans. I've seen it a lot this week that say things like, "Well, being in the Big Twelve is going to help that." Like, yeah, being in the Big Twelve should bring more talent to BYU. But it also brings more competition, right? So the schools that BYU is competing against are also in the Big Twelve. It's not like BYU is competing with the with the WCC anymore, but they have this advantage of a Big Twelve recruiting pitch. The advantage that BYU has being in the Big Twelve does not help them in the Big Twelve because right. everybody has that same advantage. And basketball's funny, man. Like basketball, St. Mary's can become a powerhouse. Gonzaga can become a powerhouse. Like it's a weird, it's a weird place. It's a, it's not the same as recruiting in football. It's just not. So BYU is going to have to do better. So my, I guess my, my parting question on basketball, Garrett, is how hot one to 10, one is you're sitting with the penguins there in like South Chile, just hanging out, looking at Antarctica float by and 10 is the depths of hell. How hot is his seat? I am mm. going to say a seven. Okay. I was going six, but yeah, like he's firmly in the equator, you know, like he's sitting there with a bunch of humidity and sweating for me, for sure. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think it's a five on the court and it's like a seven off the court because I think the, I don't, I mean, if you have disagreements, right, if you get to the point where, um, if you get to the point where maybe Tom as the athletic director, who has also been a head coach in his own right, wasn't, didn't have a great run at Cal, but he's been there as a coach, mm-hmm. you know, and it's you, the approach, if you feel like the approach is wrong, then the seat is more hot than even though the results are similar to you know Kalani 2018 where you're very meh and frustrated and you feel like the team should be better but if you don't believe in the approach then your seat is going to be warmer than the guy you're like okay i like the way you're doing this it's gonna click versus if you maybe don't like the way they're going about things you know and it's hard to see without being in practice and being in the locker room right it doesn't that's not there and my biggest frustration this year was like why are we giving when the season went to hell, why did we give the grad transfer so much time? I don't care about you if you're a grad transfer. I'm sorry. No. Like if you are, like if if it's Trey Stewart as a senior and it's like he's put in his time, his dad was an assistant coach for the women's team. The dude is logged three years. It's like, yeah, you can't bench him, but it's like when you were already a rental in the first place, I don't care. I have like, I don't even remember, literally, I don't even remember half of the players that we have had since in the last like six years because there's been so many guys like the our t john lucas brandon Avery, but it's like i guess there was harms but it, you know it's like there's just been so many one and done guys i'm just like i it's hard to be invested in that team and it's not like it's a single position and it's not like any of them were high profile transfers Part so of that's the transfer portal. The guys are going to leave now. I mean, that's that. I, it also I, hasn't worked. Like, I remember Harms worked. because, well, I remember Avery because like, Avery made some plays. I guess Lucas was here for two years, right? And then, but it's like Harms was the defensive player of the year. So it's like, I remember, but then it's like Barcelo was there for two seasons, three seasons. So it's nobody, like, I remember him. Yeah. And nobody's it's talking like, about Wyatt Lowell. Nobody's talking about Richard right. Harward. Like, we're not talking about those guys. Um, 
it's a tough world, man, and it's tough at BYU. And 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 I think the BYU, I think that Mark Pope has to. I look at guys like Trey Stewart. You brought him up. In years past, I think he's a guy that gets pushed out this year, and I'm not confident that Pope could push Trey Stewart out and get somebody better than Trey Stewart this year. So, and the thing is, if you're not upgrading, then if why you're are not you upgrading the talent? Then you are going to be degrading the and, culture. And, and I, I think the one thing that isn't accounted for when these guys are pushed out is development. Right? It's you're not just pushing out the player that is the player today; you're pushing out the player that will be after a year of off-season work and development. And and so Trey Stewart's kind of a barometer for me this year of is Pope changing his strategy and he's going to develop the guys that he's got and, and, and sprinkle in transfers? Or is he going to continue to find that quick, almost like a get-rich-quick scheme, right, of go find the talent right now and everything is okay? Yeah. Uh, we'll see what happens. Hey, what do you think of these new glasses? The new glasses? Don't you already have some that you've already had a couple pairs that look similar to that? Well, these are brown. I don't know if you could tell. Yeah. These are brown and they fade. I've never had brown ones, but uh, they're very large. The, the lenses are very large. They're Bean Mace glasses. Bean. They are. I once saw Bean many, many moons ago, and he was wearing aviators, and I said, That's who I want to be like. And ever since we then, want, we all want to be like Bean We Mace. all do. And I wear almost exclusively aviator shaped frames now. So go. thanks, Bean. That's your thing. So that's basketball. Now, the most probably the most news that everyone saw is spring ball. Like football is back, although the media reports have have been scant so far. Well, other than pads, pads still Ke- aren't on. Yeah, pads still aren't on. You know, Keaton Slovis looks good. That's that's all I care about. Honestly, that is literally the only thing I care about in spring ball because going through and gutting. The way we were gutting, and you brought this up, and we kind of have our next agenda that gets paired with this is, is talking about the roster of, you know, one of the things is like, we, I don't think the days of the, what is it, the Frodo and the Cinco and the Crunchwrap Supreme, I don't even know <laughs> all the positions that we had listed. You know, there's, it, it's a lot simplified. The defensive back is now split into safety and cornerback, which is which nice. Is, which is nice. And there's a couple guess. of those things. Like I noticed that Isaiah Glasker, Chaz Ayu, and surprisingly Micah Hanneman all listed at linebacker. So that's I wish Micah I, Hanneman was, but it's Ammon. Or sorry, Ammon. Um, different different profit. Yeah. The so I think, you know, with the with the changes on defense, like I there's nothing to go off of, right? Because it's I mean, yes, you could go back and you could watch what Weaver's done the last couple of years and kind of, you know, it's gonna be similar. But it, there's such an overhaul there that I'm going to ex- you're, don't be discouraged by the offense winning the day most of the days in there because the offense has continuity and the defense does not. Right, the defense is completely starting and not just starting over, but they brought in a lot of dudes who were transfers as well because they're trying to plug in the holes and plug yeah. in the gaps. And so yeah. there's, but I think you know there was Keen Slovis looks good you can do a lot of things with a bad defense if you have a good quarterback. And so that's all I care about. Yeah. I mean, Keaton Slovis looks good. Jake Retzlaff got his uh, tonsils taken out and that's pretty well where we're at. Ryder Burton. We've, I've been high, man. I've been singing the praises of like, I know Springville is not great, but like guys give Ryder Burton a chance. Uh, I mean, he's going to be battling for QB three at best, right? Like I'm not in any way saying, Hey, he's pushing Slovis for starter reps right now. But he's already looked more impressive than than most people thought he would. Like this dude can play; he can make the throws. He just Springville sucked. All due respect, Red Devils. Like that offense sucks. It's not fun to be a quarterback in. It so, is not fun. Um, I look at the roster, and you mentioned it, right? The Frodo, the Cinco, all that stuff is gone. But then when I I listened to Jay Hill talk about uh, Chaz and Ammon Hanneman and they're still kind of in a hybrid safety position, hybrid safety linebacker type position. Well, that's what the Rover spot was or the Cinco spot was. And so what's interesting to me is that I think Jay Hill is going to do some of the same things that Elisa Tuiaki did, but just do them in a way that is normal, you know, (laughs) like do them in a way that uh, I don't need to make up a new position and have 85 positions on the depth chart and then feel like, okay, if I'm running out my Cinco package, I have to have 
player X, but if it's my Frodo package, it has to be player Y. It's no, you're going to have a hybrid spot. Here's your three hybrids. Go learn both positions so that you can play more than seven different play calls in a game. You can actually look at a playbook and just go make a football play. Right. And, and I think that's where, where the defense faltered so much in the past is everything had to be so specialized. And what that does is one, it makes it really hard, but two, like it makes it super easy for the offense to know like, Hey, when IU is in, when, when number three is in, he only does these three things. So look at it really quickly and figure out if it's green, yellow, or red and react accordingly. Like right. let your guys learn the whole playbook, not just a fraction of a hybrid position. So uh, I'm, I'm anxious to see what it looks like. Yeah. I think the biggest thing, in, you know, in the interview that, a-Rod has done is when he said that this is the most athletic and he think it's going to be the best offensive line that they've had in his tenure here. Yeah. Um, you know, did bringing we, in, did we share the story? I can't remember if we shared it on the podcast or not, but there was a practice. I'm going to leave all names out, even sides of the ball, but like use your, okay. imag- use your imaginations folks. Okay. But there was a practice that had to be stopped. And Kalani said, hey, everybody stop because Redacted wants his reps. Redacted says he's not getting enough reps. So everybody would stop everything that we're doing so that we can run something for Redacted so that Redacted could see what's happening. And then obviously Redacted got a little bit sheepish at that point and Redacted said, no, 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 let's, let's move along. That right? sounds like a teenager in a... That sounds like a teenager in a Disney movie. It does. And that happened. And that happened once and I know about it, right? Like I don't I, I hear, you know, one billionth of what actually goes on inside a locker room or at practice. So if I'm hearing stuff like that, you can only assume that similar situations happen more regularly. So redacted, yeah, that was a problem. So when when A-Rod talks about, I mean, he was talking specifically about the offensive line. That's not to say that redacted is an offensive lineman. Let's not make that connection here, friends. But when you hear A-Rod say things like, yeah, the the offensive line is a lot less selfish this year. You've got guys that want to just play that are not like, what did he say specifically? That you had some guys that have been here for a while and wanted it to be the way that it was and weren't willing to, be the way that it should be. And, and yeah. so they were like, no, I'm a, I'm an offensive tackle. I'm a, I'm a guard. You want me to play tackle? No way. Not doing that or whatever, right? Whatever the scenario is, you had guys that, that weren't bought into the team. And as cliche as that is, when it comes to college football, that's important. And like, we all saw the games. <laughs> we all saw that there wasn't a whole lot of heart in 2022 uh, there was a lot of self in 2022. Yeah. And he said, let me find it. Um, uh, where did he go? Oh, dang it. I'm trying to find uh, Mitch's, Mitch Harper's. Uh, they, so he said, but there was a, um, he said though that this is, like by far it was i'm trying to find the exact quote that he used he, he, he said athletic right i mean that this yes, is he said the most athletic offensive line yeah let me see i mean you can paraphrase oh i want the exact quote was just like it hit oh here is it oh it was in the was it in the J. Drew article yes it was um here he said Offensive players, offensive weapons, Isaac Rex. Okay. He said another key objective for him and spring ball line coach will be so offensive line. He said, this might come as a surprise to people, but I think we've upgraded significantly at O-line. I think we're going to be better than we ever have. In fact, we have so much depth here. It's a problem to sort out. We have to figure out how to sort that out and who are best five, who are best five and who are the next best guys at each spot. So he said, um, upgrade specific. Oh, we are more athletic than we were last this year than we were last year. 
significantly more athletic. And there are several guys that can play several multiple positions and there is less ego. I mean, there are guys that just want to play. They don't care if it's right tackle or left tackle. They just want to play. We had some veteran players who kind of wanted to be what they had been in the past and it didn't always fit to get our best lineup on the field, he said. I think this year these guys are hungry. A couple of them are unproven. A few of them are proven. But the athleticism of these guys is really impressive and I'm really confident that we are going to be a really good offensive line. I, I agree with him. So Kingsley, right? When you have a given like Kingsley, I think people forget. Uh, Kingsley... So Brady Christensen was an All-American and was drafted. Blake Freeland was an All-American and was drafted, or will be drafted. Kingsley is the most talented of those three. Yeah. Period. And, and I don't think Blake or Brady would disagree. Kingsley is the most talented, natural, like he has more God-given gifts to be an offensive tackle than either Brady or Blake did, and they were elite. That's how good Kingsley Suamataya can be. Uh, Lisala Tai is great. He's like six seven. He's huge, and he could play inside or outside. He's one of those guys that I think that A Rod is talking about. Ian Fitzgerald, we gave him an eighty six rating. I mean, that's a high. That's a, a mid high three star on twenty four seven. He's got more starting experience than anybody on the roster. Now it's at a different level, but the dude has twenty nine career starts. Yeah, reps matter. Uh, How many Brady- games did Paul Miley? Oh, a ton, right? Braden Keim at, at offensive tackle. He's proven that he can be good. Trevin Osler, when he signed at a bountiful high, he was this 240-pound dude. And I remember when we had the like realization, when we learned, oh, this guy's got Polly in his genes. Like at first we were just like, what's kind of going on? I don't understand this article. And then you learn that one side of his family is Polynesian, and it's like, oh, the weight is coming. He's 330 pounds now, dude. Like, he he was athletic. He looked great. He was just so small out of high school. He's not small anymore. He could compete for a spot on the two deep. And my guy, Jake Griffin, he is not your normal freshman coming off of a mission. He has been home. He has gray-shirted. He has been with the team. He's enrolled now and, and, and a full participant during spring. Jake Griffin turned down a bunch of Power 5 schools out of high school. Jeff Grimes, Eric Mateos, they loved Jake Griffin as a tackle. Jake Griffin is my sneaky pick to be the starting right tackle on the other side of the offensive line opposite of Kingsley. I think it's going to be him. Jake Griffin is very, he's very similar to Brady Christensen. Yeah. In my opinion, their their build is similar. The athleticism is similar. So I think he can be good. I think he could be good. He's got to. He's going to have to earn it because there's other dudes at those tackle spots. But but BYU's pretty deep at tackle. I'm not worried about tackle at all. And then you mentioned Miley, Connor Pay. We know Connor Pay is going to be good. We've talked about this that uh, the addition of Miley is awesome because it allows Daryl Funk to put Connor Pay where Connor Pay's ceiling is highest. Right. Yeah. Maybe he hits center. Maybe that's guard. I think Connor Pay is better than Paul Miley at both center and guard. So that gives Funk the ability to say, hey, look, you're going to do more for the team at, at guard than you would at center or vice versa. That's awesome. Lapuaho was a big addition. Peter Falanico is freaky. I mean, I know that there are still people out there that believe that Eric Mateos and Jeff Grimes were like the offensive line gods and, and nothing good could come from anybody but them. Uh, as soon as Falanico committed, I got a message from from our former our former guy Mateos that just said, "Hey, that Falanico kid is freaky." Like you you know that was his word, right? Freaks right. and freaky. That was his word for like that's a guy that I want, and, and he believed Falanico was freaky. So this offensive line is going to be good. Yeah, there's and I'm I'm really not worried about the offensive line at all. I think. Still the biggest position of need, even though they've brought in some guys who brought in Jackson Cravens, you know, he's still, it's the defensive line is still the biggest struggle. We brought in, um, what's his name? The, oh, even at corner, corners deeper than expected, right? We've got Eddie Heckard and Marcus McKenzie is on the roster. There's still guys like Maury Bamba, who's a freaky, you know, you're talking about an athlete that just hasn't gotten time yet. You Jacob Robinson was very solid, even though he's small down the stretch. And so it's I cornerback is 
I think in a better spot pending health than other things. Um, linebacker, you know, with Ciala Yacera and, you know, with Logan Peely, Max Tully, Ben Bywater coming back and you're adding two more Kafusis, which is always good. And Chaz Ayu, you know, being removed, doing the red shirt thing last year is healthier. I think, you know, linebacker's fine, but still the defensive line, you know, even though we added David Latu from Snow, who I think will be good, even though um, we add, you know, all the guys are back. I just, it's still so, I, eh, I'm i scared. I, I still don't know about the tackles. Uh, yeah. On the surface, I agree with you, but I, I don't know how much, I don't know how much weight to put their performance on them versus the scheme. <laughs> like that group was not being asked to do anything and they were not being coached well. Yeah. Now, do they suck? Maybe. I don't know. Or did that scheme suck so bad that we don't know who they are? I hope that that's the case, but I don't know. I really don't know. And, and it's really the interior. Cause I mean, when you talk about, we okay, obviously brought in Isaiah Bagna from Boise. We got Michael Daly. We got Bodie Schoonover. We got Ice Moa. Uh, Nuu Salisin transferred from Weber State. Still have Tyler Batty in there. The defensive ends, I'm okay with. But yeah, the interior defensive line, it's, you know, there, there's not a lot there. Everyone, it's still the other than Cravens, who's proven, everyone else is still in the project, yeah. you know, realm, yeah, which is, I, is scary. And so it'll be interesting to see what they do, how they, how they work around that. Um, but really, for me, it's wide receiver. They need a wide receiver. They need two wide receivers still. If, if, if the May window goes, it comes and goes, and there is not at least one and probably two wide receivers added, then you are so razor thin at receiver that, I mean, look, the top three is great, right? Keanu Hill, yeah. Cody Epps, uh, Chase Roberts, that's great. That's as good as BYU ever has, right? Parker Kingston at number four, I like. After that, you are looking at walk-ons and true freshmen. Yeah. Like, when did Devin Downing get home from his mission? Did he like, graduate last year? I don't even know if he's home yet. I think he's, he's on home. the roster. Yeah, I think he's home. He's I think on he got the home. roster. I think he got so, home in the fall. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you're looking at who do we have? Koa Eldridge. You're looking at, at Devin Downing, Dom Henry, Hobbs Nyberg becomes like a legitimate contender for wide receiver five. Yeah. And there's not a lot of, I mean, you're looking at, Cade Moore, Dom Henry, Koa Eldridge, Tanner Holden, Talmadge Gunther, who are, you know, both walk-ons, Alex Anderson, walk-on, Kyson Hall, he's been back for a year. It's, yeah, the depth is not there. And even A-Rod in that, in that article in the Desert News, he also said that they expect to get one receiver. He wants to get two receivers. Yeah, they got to have two, I think. And so it's, that's what, so I think that's by far the biggest need. Uh, did you know that there's another Hall brother? on the baseball team. I want uh, to check because I, I remember because Koa Eldridge was going to play baseball too. Right. Right. And, that didn't and happen, so I right? checked. Yeah. Cause I was like, he's on the spring ball roster. So I checked and he hasn't been playing baseball, but I was like there's Dawson Hall is on. Yeah. There. I only so knew that because he looks exactly like Jared. Yes. But, but like with he, like wander hair. Yes. But he does not play. Well, I looked at on Max Preps, and it's like I don't even know if he played football in high school. Yeah, but it's just he he, he's a baseball player. He transferred from USU Eastern. He's on the team now. But there's a fourth brother. Who knew? A mystery um, brother. The he's mystery the, brother. He's the uh, the Cooper Manning. Yes, he's the Cooper Manning of the whole family. Yeah. The and then our last thing is the realignment saga goes on. Uh, at this point, are, are you getting are you burned out yet? On it. Every um, once, I'm like burned out, but then every once in a while, there's like something that happens that just reels me back in. I, I think that I think we've known that nothing's going to happen imminently. I think I've known that in my head. Um, but there's the want to factor. I want something to happen so bad that all of the stories that really don't matter that much have been like pins and needles waiting for the next one. But in reality. The Pac-12 is going to probably stay cobbled together for at least a year. Like, I don't think anything's going to happen in April. They might get a new TV deal, but, like, I don't think it's going to stop the realignment rumors. So I'm not burned out, but reality, I guess, is setting in a little bit more. I don't know. 
I'm burned out after like 13 years. I just there was a tweet today by 24/7 Sports, like the official 24/7 account, looking at at transfers, like running back transfers, and Aiden Robbins was highlighted. And it made me so happy because oh, we matter now, guys. Like the Big 12, we get to be in national rankings. Like they publicize our players now. Like, oh, that's cool. So I'm kind of to a point that I want to start talking more about the Big 12 than I uh, than I do realignment. But I don't know if that's because I'm burned out or more excited for the Big 12. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, we can also the yeah. I'm excited. I I was really excited about the you know since they uh, announced the Big 12 food menu for the that's conference cool. basketball tournament. Yeah, I gotta, cool. we got got to go to Kansas City next year. It, if, it's, but the what are you gonna do? Because like the obvious answer is every oh it's a cougar tail. No, because these are no. not. I don't think these are not normal food. These were we created for we this. We can't event. think of this on the spot. We need to. I can funeral potatoes, bro. What's more okay. Mormon than funeral That's potatoes? That's true. Okay. Besides funeral potatoes, though, smoked funeral gonna... potatoes with like bacon strips in it, bro. That's the good stuff. That's the so good kind that of. Actually, what would be cool? Yeah, I do. I think that would probably actually have to be. And you've thought about this since then, so you're not thinking on the spot. No, you that's true. I've thought I thought about but nothing the, like this for like a week. Yes. Yeah. So I think the funeral potatoes that has to be the move. You got to introduce that to the world. You yeah. Did that or you you got to do like a sugar like like a swig or like so delicious style. Ooh, cookie. that's not bad though. If you did dessert, you could just Baylor's do soda. Baylor's was like a Dr Pepper float. Right, or it's like a root beer, yeah, doctor, something float. like that. You could just do um, a dirty diet coke or something weird. Yeah, but um, I yeah, I am excited about the the Big Twelve and like you know what that future is going to bring, but also, um, you know, also why is there, you know, all of, like what is happening all around? I think the biggest thing that has come up, and this is interesting to me and i talked about this on the discord is like people it's weird how tribal people are about their reporters like some people are mad of like you know people don't trust them because they won't name who their sources are well that's a good way to not be told anything ever again if you rat out who their sources are so you have to figure out like you have to just keep a track record and be like okay when this person says stuff they're right when this person says stuff they're wrong but it's funny to me when you go on like random twitter threads and things or like on you know reddit cfp or whatever how certain like Jason Shear, the twenty four seven, the what do you call it? The site manager, the, of, the me, the me of yes, Arizona, the Jeff of Arizona. He, you know, he can be pretty like, what's it? Caustic is that the word? Like he abrasive. You know, his style is not for everyone, but everybody is like, oh, he's full of crap, whatever. And then they're sharing like Wilner and Consano, who have been saying, oh, two weeks. It's going to happen. My spider senses are tingling. Right. It's like nothing has they have said has been right this entire time. You just got a spider in your pants, Brother Canzano. There's no senses about it. It's like nobody. That's a a different kind of tingle you've got. Right. Like people are like, oh, well, Stuart Mandel disagreed. Like Stuart Mandel also said that seven, that the Big 12 was going to only get a deal for seven to $12 million and that they are going to be left for dead. Stuart Stuart Mandel is the like he exists because of conference realignment. Yeah. Like people got to recognize that, right? That like his stake in the athletic, the athletic drives college football drives the athletics clicks and volume. That's just what it is. And realignment is the king of college football talk. So Stuart Mandel, it behooves him to cover realignment in a way that prolongs the coverage of realignment. So whatever is either going to be like overly sensationalized that drives a ton of traffic or what prolongs that conversation. That's, that's, that's what makes sense for him. And in a world of realignment, there is no truth. Like that's the thing that we have to understand that, that they, you know, whoever you listen to, there is no source of truth. There's no single source of truth when it comes to realignment. Everybody has a narrative. Everybody has sources. Uh, but everybody's sources only know one fraction of the conversation. And usually those sources, you know, the same way that we had like, well, the tuxedo Yoda yeah. and stuff or, yeah. or T right. It's like your sources from your school are going to tell you what they like the most optimistic outcome. Well, they're until, gonna, 
it's going to be from their view, whether it's good right. or bad, That's it's true. their view. Right. And this is why, like I've said, like if you go and you look other than a few opinion pieces where like it's Jeff just looking at what everybody else is saying. And I'm saying, this is what I think is going to happen. I've never once said sources tell me such and such about realignment because I don't even know where to go. Right. Like I I'm pretty connected to the inner workings of BYU. I, I couldn't tell you where to go to get an actual credible source, like a, a piece of information from a source inside BYU that I would feel comfortable saying, hey, I've talked to sources and the Big 12 is going to do this. I mean, even John Wilner, like when he broke the story that USC and UCLA was leaving, he didn't break that the Big 10 was expanding. He broke that the USC and UCLA were leaving. And that's right. important because that you can get. USC can speak autonomously for themselves and say, John, we're leaving. And that's the story. But if they said, John, we're going to the Big Ten, there's a whole nother body of 16 schools that could put a roadblock in front of that story. So John would have to go and figure it out with 16 other schools plus a conference to figure out where the truth is. Nobody, nobody, especially team reporters, like guys like me on 24-7 sites or KSL or beat writers or whatever, nobody has the breadth of sources at that level to be able to definitively say anything that is going to happen. It's yeah. all speculation. All and of it. It's all speculation, but even to Shear's credit, I will say that he was the first one to say that the so-called four corner schools were talking to the Big 12. And he said that first, and people were like, oh, that's only he's the only one saying that. And now literally every single national writer is saying, yeah. like, hmm, things have been touching. Like they've had some conversations since last fall, and they're getting more serious as of late. And it's like, okay, he, he was right. But he and, and in the Colorado, the to Colorado To Shear's credit, before we move to Colorado, to Shear's credit, People have put a lot of words in his mouth, right? Because again, yes. what Sheer reported He's never made a specific thing. He never. just said, I'm he not, said, I don't know a timeline. I don't know what's going to happen. He said, it's going to depend on the TV deal, but the conversations are happening. That's, that's all, all that he, he has said is all that he has said is that Until I mean, today. he would like to go somewhere, but he has said they've and talked. The People have saying he's a big 12 fanboy, And he said, no, he just doesn't believe that the PAC 12 right. is going to be able to do it. And that the, he wants to find a safe landing spot before yeah. he ends up being the Cincinnati or the US, USF. He wants to be the pit or the West Virginia. Yeah. And the, but today he did say, he did report that Utah is interested, is willing, wanting to stay in the Pac 12, even if it means that the rest of the league kind of falls apart, that they want to, he's hearing that they want to do that and that. Colorado, who their 24-7 site manager said that it seems like a move back to the Big 12 is likely for them, which is also a bold statement. Uh, you know, He said that Utah is wanting to stay in the Pac-12 at all costs and would even stay behind if the other three schools left. So, And because they believe or so bought into the idea of the 12-team playoff that they can basically run the league and have a clear path, which there's something to be said for a 10-team league is easier to win than a 16-team league. Or in this case, it'd probably be like a 19 league. I don't know what they're going to do. But they, you know, if it's Utah and, the, you know, and also, though, you have to consider with this 12 team playoff thing that I think these bids, that's only for the 2024 and 2025 season. And then 2026, it's they can rework it because yeah. they modified yeah. the remainder of this contract for the CFP. They did not, like the new format from 2026 and beyond and what exactly that looks like is still up in the year. Yeah. And so I would not be surprised if the Pac-12 dies, they will, or gets knocked down, they will knock that down by saying, okay, instead of five auto bids, it's four. And the four highest ranked, or six, it was six and six. So instead of six, it's going to be five, right? Like you'll have the five highest ranked thing and they'll knock it down. And so you have the four conferences, champions, and then the Pac-12 or Pac-10, whatever it is, is then competing with the Mountain. Well, the Mountain West would die too because that's who they'd backfill from. Well, and, and I think that be, I think we the know Sun Belt, the, the American and the Mountain yeah. Pack would be competing for that last spot, which and maybe I, it happens, maybe it doesn't. But if you're behind a streaming wall, what you are today, and this is kind of what we've said since the beginning, you know, a year ago almost now, is that the streaming like what your brand is today is not what it's going to be five years from now. Like look right. at what TCU was, look at what Cincinnati was five years ago compared to now. Look at where we are five years ago compared to now in Houston 
pre Tom Herman to now. And, you know, if you stick your on ion in the CW for all your games and nobody pays attention, then and I think you're done. Like you're not going to keep going the way you've been going. That's exactly right. And I think that as you look at the, the reports that are out there, um, that's who I would pay attention to, right? Is because TV is such an integral part of it and exposure is such an integral part of it. I think those are the sources that can be trusted the most. I don't have a single source at Amazon. I don't have a single source at ESPN, right? But I think that those are the ones that people should listen to is the people who are citing sources within the TV industry, right? Dennis Dodd talks about sources within the Big 12 or the Pac-12. And I don't get the impression based on his track record that he's a TV guy. He, he'll break a, a, a coaching hire or a coaching change or something like that. But I don't get the impression that he's been you know, on the um, on ground zero of the TV game, but like March, Martian and Oren, like, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Those guys, and that's been Brett McMurphy, and, and, Brett McMurphy breaks all of the bowl games, right? Like every year before anybody else does like TV is what he does. And, and so it, it's TV is what he does, but also, I mean, if, if it was close, so obviously Klaofko said, you know, 40 million, that was the number. If they were close to anybody anywhere near that number, he they would have done the deal already. Like he's not going to, you know, if if there's if you're saying that the number is, you know, as long as you're within five million, it's fine. And you, you know, as long Big Twelve's getting thirty two, as long as they're twenty seven or twenty eight, they'll be happy. Then that's fine, right? You can you could say that and. But then the flip side of that is, okay, you wanted 40. That means if that's the number is 27 now is what you need to be happy. Then if they were at that number, they would have already done it already. Like the fact that it's, so. still, it's still ongoing, it means they are not close to the number. The fact that at their conference tournament, they did not, the the commissioner did not do a public press conference, which everybody does. They did not have, they had an in-person meeting, but it was only with the athletic directors. It was not with the university presidents. That the fact that there has not been a tenable offer put on the table since ESPN offered $25 million a year and they said no eight months ago. And now the economy has gone down the shitter since then. There's, there could be an indirect. We're coming full circle here. We are. Like, SVB <laughs> fails. They're yeah. saying we want to get in bed and do all this streaming, and we're going to be the Techie West Coast Conference. Well, Techie West Coast just got money. hammered today, right? And yeah, so, I agree. and I so I mean, if this means great, so if Utah wants to stay there, that's fine. Hell, Big Twelve, you want to expand? You can invite San Diego State as the fourth school, and then completely gut the Pac-12, where they the literally their only options would be Air Force, Colorado State, Fresno, and Boise. Or Washington State, still invite them. Yeah, and so uh, there was someone else I saw reported that it was the only way. uh, Or someone reported that Oregon and Washington would be willing to sign a four-year deal if they got thirty-five million dollars a year with unequal revenue share. Which even then, those numbers don't work because the rest of the league is not going to sign that. Other than Oregon State and Washington State, because they have the most to lose. Maybe Utah now, like if it depends on what their priorities are, right? Fingers crossed. But I mean, if you're a fan of a Pac-12 school, I don't. the The group of people, no, 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 the group of people that enabled that put up with Larry Scott for a decade too long, hired his replacement, and they did a shitty job hiring his replacement. Yeah, and why would you expect them to do that? Why would you expect them to make the right choice in terms of long trip? Like, I would have zero faith in this group of university presidents because they have shown nothing for the last thirteen years that they know how to do. I don't don't feel bad about it at all, uh, even for their fans. Like, we've been listening to the Pac-12 say for for twenty years that BYU is not good enough, that they're irrelevant, that they should go back to the Mountain West, that this and that and this and that. Uh, I haven't, that's like the one side of me that has been like, I pack 12, like, I don't care. Whatever happens to you happens. If you survive, great. If you don't, I, I feel nothing for you. The liter- the leadership of the pack 12 has proven to be morons since the day they invited Utah. <laughs> well, I think it goes back before that, but, but this current like group, this current group, that was, that was truly the day that they died was when, <laughs> They wanted Texas and settled for Utah. That was it. That was the beginning of the end. 
And this is the end of our show. It's been, it is a long weekend, Jeff. I don't, do you have any exciting plans this weekend? Uh, no, I am just prepping next week. I'll make, take the Jeep down to St. George, stay in St. George while I hit up Mesquite every day for March Madness too, and gamble and Jeep all weekend long next week. But this week, nothing. I am. I'm going to hit a couple of the World Baseball Classic games here in Phoenix. Oh yeah, there you go. So that's what uh, I'm going to on Sunday night. I'm got tickets going. Uh, my father-in-law and I are going to USA Mexico. So that that's will be fun. that'll be that fun. will be fun. I don't know who he's rooting for. Maybe I got to get him a jersey that's like oh yeah, one of the halvesies, yeah. the halvesies, or put a USA sticker over the Mexico one. So it's you know more uh, realistic he, he of, just, of his naturalized citizenship. Well, what about this? What if he just wears a USA jersey and a Dodgers hat? Then I think he's probably oh, just wear Dodgers anything that, that yeah. actually gets you right there. That's all in one. That's the one. The Jeff, it has been a good episode. Hopefully, you know I don't think and probably nothing will happen until after March Madness is over. Supposedly, there's still that deadline mid-April to get something done, which falls in line with that March Madness thing. But I think. Colorado had their meeting this week. The dam is going to start breaking and things are going to start getting a little more picking well, up we're gonna steam. We're going to start next step. Whatever it is, we're going to get yeah. there. Yeah. We're going to get there. And Jeff, and when we do get there, we will give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>